1 John 4, 7 to 19. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that he will have, we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Amen. No, when I was a child, um, my parents would occasionally take me to Sunday school, I have memories of, and um, drop me off there. Um, and later on, you know, we would go occasionally to church as a family, Christmas, Easter. I actually sang in a choir as a, as a sort of 12, 13-year-old for a while. I think then my voice broke and I broke away. I actually was confirmed in, in this choir. It's what you tend to do in the Anglican Church. If you've been baptized as a baby, the lady of the bishop comes along and confirms you. And it, I think it was probably shortly after that that I left. Reminds me of the story of the vicar who was having problems with the bats in his belfry. He couldn't get rid of these bats. And, you know, they're making all kind of mess, smell a bit. And... Um, just didn't know what to do. So he was talking to the council one night and they said, church warden pipes up and he says, I've got an idea. Why don't we invite the bishop or get him to confirm them and then they'll disappear. And in those times when I was in church, in worship, singing, I missed this. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I heard about it, I wrote about it, but I didn't get it. This pinnacle of revelation of the nature of God, that God is love. But I wonder if equally, unfortunately in John, the translation in the IIV is, dear friends. Literally, and in the, in the authorized version, it's beloved. Isn't that better? Isn't that more wondrous? Not only that God is love, but he calls us beloved. He showers his sacrificial, persistent, never-ending love upon us and calls us his own. 
Many of you will be familiar with Paul's definition of love from 1 Corinthians 13. You've either read it or you've been to weddings where it's often read. God is patient. Sorry, love is patient. It's actually a reflection of who God is. But love is patient. Love is kind. Is unfailing, bears, believes, hopes, endures all things. It's actually a description Paul is using to counter what is going wrong in that community that is meant to be defined by love but isn't. And he's reminding them, this is love. I think John 2 is speaking into a context in our passage today that's important. Remember, this was some of that early Gnostic idea that it was all about our spiritual life. Actually, our earthly life wasn't that important. In fact, what we did with our bodies wasn't that important because it's the spiritual life that is everything. Therefore, how we are with one another doesn't really matter. What we do with our bodies doesn't really matter. But John's heart, again and again, because he'd walked with it, was that this love has to transcend heaven and earth. Love came down in the person of Jesus, the heavenly gift. It's always God's desire that heaven would come to earth. It's the recreation of all things, including the earth. Let your kingdom come here upon the earth as it is in heaven. And so we're invited to seek his, talked about that recently, to seek relationship with him, to look into his eyes to hear his voice speaking to us. And there's a line of that song that just spoke to me. Before I spoke a word, you were singing. I, want, I kind of want to let the word just sing over us this morning. I want the Lord to sing over you and for you to hear the wondrous sonnet about 10 points you've stopped smiling it's unfathomable but what does John say love comes from God let us love one another for love comes from God love comes from outside of us we don't make it happen it begins with he who is and has always been the same yesterday today forever love and in love he created us to know this love it is defined by him not us that's a problem in our culture today love leads to new birth everyone who loves has been born of God it's a sign of the new birth he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is the new birth this is what it means to be regenerate brought back to life in terms of relationship with God. Love multiplies itself. It cannot do otherwise. It expands, replicates. We must be born again, Jesus says to Nicodemus, a religious leader of the day who was confused. Are we? Love brings us to life. And when we, 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 are not, we don't feel love, we feel very bad. Some of you know I've worked with a ministry to the homeless called Community First in Austin, Texas, where they have built a community for the homeless. Not just provide food, clothing, 
they provide you life. Because ultimately, that's all we want. We want a place to belong, a place to be known, a place to be fished and given to, and have the opportunity to give in return. It brings energy and it brings life. And it casts away the darkness. Love fosters intimacy and connection. Some of you are unsure about this message that I've been sharing with you. God is intimate with the upright, the word says. He makes himself known to us. He reveals his plans and purpose. And he establishes connection. You see, we are created to live in connected relationship. And love is what makes that possible. Love is what defines it. And when you see a newborn baby, and the bond that gets established in a good, healthy home, where the baby sees and is nurtured and nourished by the mother, it's the bond of intimate connection. That's how we all started life. We're never meant to leave it in terms of valuing connection and intimacy. It's meant to expand, because that's what love does. This is how God shows. Oops. Everyone who loves knows God. A sign that you know God, that you and in relationship with him, is that you love. Love initiates. Love gives first. Love doesn't wait to be given to. Well, I'll forgive them when they say they're sorry. Well, I'll reach out to them when they take us. I'm not going to go. What they did was follow. This is not love. This is us. This is the world. This is like, this is how God showed his love among us. And we've seen this echoes of 3.16, John 3.16. He sent his one and only son into the world. You see, love compels us to move, to give, to go. When we're in conflict, we want to be reconciled. We want to take a first step. This is what love does. It's love that causes us to want to build new friendships, to reach out and risk being let down and hurt. Because love does that. My flesh doesn't, but love does. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While you are yet sinners, first. Love sacrifices for others. This is love, that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's a complex idea. We could spend a week reflecting upon this. The sacrifice of atonement. Another word in the authorized word, the propitiation. This idea that Jesus bridges the gap. He takes upon himself and reconciles us through his own suffering. It's why for John in his gospel, the, the height of the glory of God being revealed is upon a cross where a criminal hangs in agony for the sins of the world. This is glory, but this is love. This is our Savior. And through his own self-giving love, he takes upon himself all the evil, the pain that is ours, not his. And he allows it to do its worst to him. 
For he who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? Love. Pure and simple. You know this love. You're trusting in this love above all and for all. This is the only answer to our own suffering. Not that there must be a God who hates, but God doesn't hate. and understands and accepts. Love swallows evil. Takes it into himself and he extends the good to us. This is love that he and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins which merits recognition. I think Because on the cross, the place of glory, as well as reconciliation, as well as removal of guilt and the stain of sin, there was victory over the powers of evil. All the powers of the enemy, he makes a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through the cross, Paul reflects in Colossians. Victory, power of sin broken, power of sin in your life broken. And in his name, we have the victory. And yet we're invited to be stewards of that mercy. We have received so much, we cannot fail to give it away. This is what grace is. This is why forgiveness is extended. We know this grace. Love is reliable. Love is trustworthy. And invites us to trust. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. It's hard to rely upon something you don't have an experience of. That's not a reality. That's why God wants it to be a reality in your life. So that you would rely upon the love of God. When you least feel it or are aware of it. To know that it is there nonetheless. It is an established fact. Rooted in the cross but revealed through the story of Israel from Genesis to Revelation. And the story is yet to be concluded. We all know the pain of those who are unreliable. The pain of those who are untrustworthy. And how do we live in a world where we're wired for trust and connection when there are people like me? Jesus, whom Jesus loved and served sacrificially. Love drives out fear. Hallelujah. This fear has to do with punishment. There is no fear. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Only the love of God protects us from that. Not your best efforts. They never will. But they were not designed to do that. You were created in love for love. Your value is inherent in you the moment you're born, the moment you're conceived. The moment God saw you from eternity past, your value was there. We believe the lie. We live in fear. 
And this is why the father doesn't just punish for punishment's sake. This is why he's not into punitive judgment, I don't believe. He's into restoration. He's calling us back. He leaves the 99 for the sake of the greatest rebel that wanders off. So let us not be like that, but let us be like him. Love always hopes. Love invites and empowers us to love and live like Jesus. In this world, John says, we are like Jesus. It's not to just stand afar off and admire it and be thankful for it. It's No, it's to become, to be changed, to be transformed. Because of our confidence. And this is the greatest purpose of the church, to become a place where this love is seen and experienced. Began with Jesus, shared with his disciples, and he told them to do the same. That's the lineage we celebrate on this All Saints Day. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You see, it's contingent upon our loving one another. That's why the Leviticus verse was put in with the Shema and the, the call to love God. God, love your neighbor as yourself. Inseparable. When John says everyone who loves has been born of God, does this mean anyone who loves is a Christian? What does it mean Christians love? I had a text this morning from a friend of mine in Austin. Well, I woke up to it. He's a, he's a guy who we met through a marriage workshop we were doing, and he and his about-to-be wife um, came on it and were just deeply impacted, reached out to us, and we kind of got to know them, and we invite them to a small group we were doing on a deeper look into the nature of love and in marriage, and um, just became good friends. I, they asked me to marry them, but I was away, and so I arranged for someone else to do that. But we, we prayed for and blessed the birth of their child. He's, he's a bit older than the wife, and there were complications. He's not Hi, Barbara. fully Sorry. in the place of knowing the yeah, Lord, um, yet, but he's reaching out. Um, he's got Jewish background, and there's pain and confusion. And yet he wrote because he's had a diagnosis about trouble with nerves. I, I and he know. said, it scared me to death. It's a vulnerable thing for a man to share. And it gave me an opportunity to tell him that we were praying for him. He asked for prayer. But I shared this passage with him. I said, funny enough, I'm preaching on this. Perfect love casts out fear. I urge you to read this. My prayer is that God would reveal himself afresh. This is our ministry and our mission to a world that knows not this love. So is love enough to be a Christian? It's interesting in, this is a bit of an aside, but in, in, throughout this letter, John talks about four tests. That so know that we know that we are in him and that we belong to him. That we are regenerate, that we are saved, that we are children of God, that we have hope. The first would be 
quite simply, that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died set us free from the power of sin. In fact, in our, in our reading, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. There's no reality to our relationship with God unless fundamentally we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But also, as we have read, a Christian is somebody who obeys the commandments. You can't call yourself a Christian and neglect the commandments of Christ. Uh, we read in chapter 2, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So we not only believe on him as the son of God, but we've got to obey him, submit to him, yield our will fully to him. He's the son of God. He's the Lord. He is, as we read in chapter 1, God is light. Yeah. And there's no room for darkness. Sin is rebellion, disobedience. God is light. It's one of the foundational understandings of the nature of God that He is light. The third test is that we would love like Him. This is the ultimate commandment, the new commandment. Love one another. Verse 7b Everyone who loves has been born of God. You see, it's a reflection of our being born again. Love has to be present. It's reflecting all that we're talking about, and especially this reality that God is not only light, he is love. And if I'm in him and he's in me, guess what? The neighbors ought to notice. Finally, the spirit... This is the final test that we're in him. In our now we know we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he sent his son for you. Yes, he's told you to love. But have you received the spirit? And do you know? And maybe more importantly, not do you have the spirit, but does the spirit have you? the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for lights. The fruit of the Spirit is love. God is not only light and love, he is spirit. It's what John says, the woman uh, at the well, the Samaritan woman. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship is a spiritual activity because it's ultimately about fellowship with God himself. Sorry. And that's only made possible through the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he is given to all who would ask. Hallelujah. Yeah.